automatic operator, a true jewel of engineering. The Outline World Dispatch. It's Tuesday, November 28th, 2017. I'm Aaron Edwards. Today on The Dispatch, Adrian Jeffries looks into the strangers looking at your expense reports. And Sophie Kleeman wonders why fish fans are leading the charge for net neutrality. Here's The Dispatch. The future. If you've ever had to file an expense report for work, you know how much of a pain it can be. Apps like Expensify speed up that process and let you file receipts electronically. But over the weekend, it came to light that by using some of these services, you might be sharing receipts and personal information with more people than you'd like to. Adrian Jeffries is here with the story. Hey, Adrian. Hey, Aaron. How is Expensify supposed to work? Expensify is a pretty nifty app that is way better than some other apps I've had to use in order to file expenses for work. The way it works is um, you just download the app on your phone and then you take photos of your receipts as you incur the expenses and you can either manually enter the information from those receipts into a report through the app, or you can use this thing it calls smart scan where Expensify just looks at the photo and pulls out the merchant name and the total and puts that into the report for you. So I guess a little disclosure, we use Expensify here at the outline and I guess I've never personally used it because I never had to file a ton of expense reports. Like I pretty much stay put for the most part, but how does smart scan work in this process? The way it's presented, it's like a computer vision, machine-powered, automated system. So you take the photo, the computer reads the receipt, and then it pulls out the text it needs for filling in the fields in the report. So like, let's say you stopped at 7-Eleven and got coffee, and that's an expense that you can file for. It would look at the receipt and see that it was 7-Eleven, put that into the right field, see that it was like 375 or whatever it was and put that into the field and you wouldn't have to enter anything in manually. And it's super fast and super easy and it's all done by a computer. Except over the weekend during the Thanksgiving holiday, a longtime Mechanical Turk worker named Rochelle LaPlante, who also has uh, done a lot of advocacy for um, digital gig workers like people on Mechanical Turk, discovered that there were receipts on Mechanical Turk, which is a remote labor marketplace owned by Amazon that appeared to come from Expensify that had, in some cases, a lot of identifying information. She found an Uber receipt that had someone's full name, as well as the address where they were picked up and the address where they were dropped off. And then once she kicked off the discussion about this, other users found other receipts on Mechanical Turk that had even more information, such as boarding passes, hotel receipts, medical receipts, addresses, and signatures. Where are these workers coming from? The workers are coming from Mechanical Turk. And it's called Mechanical Turk because it's uh, a very appropriate reference to this traveling illusion in the 18th century that was called the Mechanical Turk. And it was a dummy that was attached to a cabinet and it would play chess. 
and it was like an automaton is how it was presented. So it was like this play chess against the amazing mechanical Turk. It's a, it's like a, basically a computer, but in reality there was a person inside of the cabinet who was controlling the chess pieces from underneath. But the most popular speculation involved a hidden chess expert, despite the fact that the cabinet appeared only large enough to contain the clockwork mechanism. So it was the illusion of something being done by machine when the reality was that it was just being done by a hidden person. That's not the most flattering representation of someone whose job it is, is to do this. Yeah. Amazon's Mechanical Turk is, in my view, not the most worker-friendly setup. It's notoriously cheap. Workers are paid a couple cents for tasks, and that can work out to a couple dollars an hour. How much access do Mechanical Turk workers have to the personal information people put through Expensify? I think most receipts don't have personal identifying information, like that receipt from 7-Eleven is not going to say your name. It's maybe going to say the last four digits of your credit card, if that. But there are some receipts that do have more identifying information. For example, Uber receipts will say your full name and the address is where you were picked up and dropped off. So there is some identifying information that's coming through through these. And people who are using Expensify, are they supposed to be aware this is happening, that their information is available to these sort of mystery workers? Yeah, so I think it's something that people don't think about and most people would probably be surprised to learn. Expensify actually denied that it uses Mechanical Turk back in 2013 when it its director of marketing and strategy, Ryan Schaefer, wrote in response to a public question about this on the site Quora that, quote, Expensify tried Mechanical Turk in the past. However, we stopped using that service and have developed our own solution. So it turns out maybe Expensify had stopped using Mechanical Turk at that point, but at some point it started again. But people who had seen this earlier denial would probably be surprised to learn that Expensify was regularly using Mechanical Turk. I think it's also worth pointing out that a lot of these apps like Expensify, like Slack, like uh, Google Drive, are apps that people are having to use for work. And if there is some data that they have to input or they have to use their personal device or they're using a, a personal credit card, then they don't really have a choice if that's an app that the employer says they have to use, like they have to use it. And it's giving people less and less autonomy over where their data ends up. What can people do if they want to opt out of this or prevent their information from being shared with someone who they don't know or they can't see? After this came out, Expensify responded on its blog and said, hey, we're rolling out a new feature. It's called Private Smart Scan. And employers can pay extra and do extra work and get their own handpicked teams that will review receipts through Amazon's Mechanical Turk still, but just it'll be this hand-selected team. However, that solution depends on the employer deciding to go the extra mile to ensure that the receipts are being reviewed by a team that's been vetted in some way. If you are just an average Expensify user, the best thing to do is just avoid smart scan. You can just type in your uh, expense information yourself um, from the receipts. 
And that way, Expensify will have no reason to send your receipts to Mechanical Turk for processing. Adrian Jeffries is a senior editor here at The Outline. Thanks, Adrian. Thank you. The future. Next month, the FCC will consider net neutrality rules that were implemented during the Obama administration. If they are rolled back, it would be a major blow to the open internet, and some groups have organized campaigns to raise awareness. But, as writer Sophie Kleeman found last week, it turns out that fans of the jam band Fish have, for some reason, been among the most vocal proponents of net neutrality. So Sophie, why are Fish fans on the front lines of this fight? Um, a few reasons, I think. Uh, you know, I think for a lot of people, when they think of fish, it does sort of make sense as to why their fan base would be invested in this. Fans are very into trading and the live shows. So they're really interested in building up their collection and getting their hands on, you know, every different recording of the song. Um, and you can only do that, you know, really these days through the Internet might be helpful to give a little bit of a broad look at what these rules actually are and how they might affect a fish fan. What does that look like? Sure. Um, so, you know, right now the internet as it stands uh, is, you know, the Obama administration sort of likes to call it free and open. You can go to any website, download things, you can stream things without being cut off or without being charged extra or paying for certain kinds of things, unlike, you know, a cable package, for instance. And those net neutrality rules essentially try to keep that in place. They try to stop uh, ISPs, so Comcast, AT&T, that kind of thing, from stepping in and implementing restrictions into what you can do online. But the FCC right now is Republican-led, and they want to strike down these laws. They want to, you know, make it so that ISPs can sort of have the option of perhaps charging more or restricting content or that kind of thing. What are fish fans seeing when they go to that website and seeing this pop up? Um, so they are seeing uh, sort of a very strongly worded pop up with a big um, urgent text right at the top in red. And it has a countdown clock. So the countdown clock is basically the time until the FCC will strike down these net neutrality laws. And it asks for uh, your phone number. So you can you know put in your phone number and call Congress, and they'll sort of connect you that way. How did you actually quantify that fish fans were one of the leading groups that were fighting against this pushback on net neutrality? Um, so there is a website, and it's battleforthenet.com, and uh, it basically sort of keeps track of pop-ups that, that show up on certain websites. And the users on those websites, if they follow through to the pop-ups and if they follow through to the website and call their Congress people and, you know, um, it sort of tabulates it that way. So uh, there's a bunch of different websites that are sort of on the leaderboard. Um, I think Boing Boing is one of them. But yeah, there are not just fish.net, but like <laughs> specific set list pages from the fish.net domain. So it's, you know, also the forums and that kind of thing. Uh, I spoke to the webmaster of fish.net, um, and he told me that he was the one who sort of organized for these pop-ups to be there. He just said he felt it was really important and he really fought for the pop-ups and you know as an internet user you can obviously see a pop-up and just totally ignore it you do not have to click through you don't have to call people you don't have to really pay any attention if you don't want to 
But, yeah, it seems like enough of them really care about it. it. You know, a lot of people see net neutrality and they think, what's that? But, you know, it really does have the potential to affect millions and millions of people and how they use the Internet. Um, and it's going to be really tough to go from something that was very unrestricted to something that is now restricted and out of our control. What is the FCC's pitch for rolling back net neutrality rules? Um, it's largely a competition thing. Um, they argue that broadband providers are being, you know, stopped from good business innovation and um things that, you know, theoretically they say would benefit consumers by these sort of old fusty regulations and and government interference. So to someone who doesn't really know the background of this, that sounds great. But it's, you know, I don't want to go so far as to sort of call it a straight up lie, but uh, it's very anti-consumer. FCC chairman uh, Ajit Pai has sort of said the harm to consumers is really just theoretical and that these kinds of actions that, that ISPs could potentially take to limit access to content won't actually happen. Uh, and the ISPs themselves have said that, but the rollback of these rules is them basically saying, but let us have the opportunity to do that anyway. We won't do it, but, you know, maybe just give us just, we, we still want the opportunity to be able to do that. I mean, the tough thing about it is that, like, no one is arguing that the internet is this perfect wonderland where everything is fine and like, you know, things, everyone's having a great time. No, the internet is a trash fire 90% of the time. <laughs> but, you know, when you give power to to Comcast and to AT&T, do you really think that they're going to have consumers in mind? Of course not. They're consistently the lowest rated corporate consumer friendly companies in the country, consistently, year after year. If you think that they're going to be responsible with this kind of stuff... I mean, just, I don't even know what to say. So is calling in to your congressman enough? Like, our fish fans are going to save us? I hope so. <laughs> you know, it's it's hard to say. It's Well, it's easy to sort of take a cynical approach to it, I think, and to say, oh, this won't really have any effect. This will not do anything. No one's going to listen to regular people. But I do think, you know, just looking back at the healthcare debate, for example, people showing up, people protesting, people calling— and really getting in the faces of, of lawmakers, I do think it really made a difference. Um, obviously, that's not happening so much with the net neutrality debate. People are not sort of showing up and, and yelling at their, at like, Mitch McConnell. Um, but I do think it makes a difference. I do think it's important for people to get involved and for, for these lawmakers to really understand that people care about this and that they're aware that it's happening and they're not just going to have the wool pulled over their eyes. Sophie Kleeman is a writer and editor covering technology. Thanks, Sophie. Thank you. That's it for The Dispatch today. If you picked up a Google Home or Amazon Echo over the break, you can listen to us there too. Just say, OK, Google, play news from the outline or add the outline skill to your Alexa to hear us in your flash briefing. But thanks for listening in whatever way you chose to. I'm Aaron Edwards. We'll be back tomorrow with more.